It's beginning to look a lot like elections. There are six days before Christmas, 23 days before Taiwan heads to the polls. I'm Andrew Ryan. I'm Natalie So. Let's take a look first at the stories on our radar this week. Taiwan will soon become home to a maintenance facility for F-16 fighter jets. That's after the U.S.-based Lockheed Martin signed a partnership with Taiwan's state-run aerospace company AIDC. Premier Su Zhenchang says the goal is for Taiwan to become the regional maintenance center for F-16s. The employees of Far Eastern Air Transport are urging the Transportation Ministry to reinstate the airline's permit to fly. The ministry revoked the permit last week after the airline's chairman announced without warning that he was ceasing operations. The chairman tried to reinstate flights a day later, but was unable to do so without the permit. The drama unfolding at Far Eastern has shocked the industry and impacted over 5,000 travelers. A Taiwanese professional baseball team, the Lamigo Monkeys, has been renamed the Rakuten Monkeys. Rakuten is the name of the Japanese conglomerate that bought the team back in September. The team unveiled its new jersey design along with the new name on Thursday. The Taipei city government has backpedaled on a regulation that prevented foreign nationals from using U-bikes, the city's popular shared bike service. The service informed users they would have to re-register but required a Taiwanese ID number to do so. After hearing from a Bloomberg reporter about the move and the resulting uproar online, Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhou ordered U-Bike to fix the problem immediately. Foreign tourists, however, will still be required to use a credit card and put down a deposit. And finally, one of the stories under the radar, fishermen in Pingdong County, southern Taiwan, had a pleasant surprise earlier this week as they saw a sudden rush of eel fry in the water. Some were able to catch over 33,000 U.S. dollars worth of eel in one night. Experts say they were brought to the region by a black current of warm water from the south. Let's go straight to election coverage. Taiwan kicked off its official campaign period this weekend for the 2020 presidential elections, which are set to take place on January 11th. The official 28-day campaign period for the presidential election began this past weekend and lasts until January 10th, the day before the election. On the ballot, the candidates will be number one, the People First Party's chairman James Song and former broadcasting mogul Sandra Yu. Number two, for the Kuomintang, Kaohsiung Mayor Han Guoyu and former Premier Simon Zhang. And number three for the Democratic Progressive Party, President Tsai Ing-wen and former Premier William Lai. Central Election Commission Chairperson Li Jingyong said that campaign activities and media coverage must be between 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. There's a ban on announcing any election polls during the last 10 days before the election and during the vote. The commission is using social media for the first time this election and will announce the results on YouTube and Facebook first. The commission is also calling on news outlets to include the official CEC figures as they broadcast the results. Now, as you just heard, there's a complete blackout on election opinion polls in the 10 days running up to the elections. Uh, so we're going to talk about them now while we still can. In fact, that's the subject of today's Taiwan Explained. With just about three weeks left before elections here in Taiwan, in today's Taiwan Explained, I want to talk about opinion polls. All right, you have 60 seconds to do that. Are you ready, right. Andrew? I think so. 
Go. Let's start off with the rules. Now, here in Taiwan, there's a 10-day blackout on opinion polls before the elections, and that's long by international standards. Now, on one end of the spectrum, places like the U.S. and the U.K. don't have blackouts. On the other end, places like China don't allow election opinion polls at all. Now, countries in the region with significant blackouts include not just Taiwan but also South Korea, Indonesia, and Singapore. Now, during the 2016 election, several politicians and media outfits were fined for talking about opinion polls. That was a $500,000 fine, which is about $15,000 U.S. at the time. So, what do the polls say with just three weeks left? Let's have a look at what the、uh, lineup looks like on Wikipedia. They have a list of all the latest polls. You can see the incumbent Tsai Ing-wen in green has about 50% of the vote and a comfortable lead in all the polls in December. Now, the polls might not be reliable this year. Why is that? Well, that's because the main opposition candidate, Gaoshan Mayor Han Guoyu from the KMT, was struggling in the polls, and he called on his supporters to lie to pollsters and say that Tsai. Was who they preferred as the candidate. Very good. Just a few words there, right? Just a few words <laughs> over. Okay, I have a couple questions for you, Andrew. Sure. So, why do you think Taiwan is one of the countries with a long blackout for the, the polls? Okay. Well, the reason for these blackouts is because they want to make sure that the opinion polls don't have an effect on the election.、Mm. Um, because I think in, in previous years there have been claims that this is is had an effect,、um, and also because they're not really sure that these opinion polls are true or not. And there could be a couple concerns. If you, it looks like your candidate is ahead in the polls, you might not vote. Yeah. And since there's so many surveys going on,、um, which sources do you recommend or that you, do you like to go to? Well, I don't want to、uh, recommend a specific pollster. What I would like to do is actually、uh, guide you towards some aggregators. So there are people who actually look at a lot of different ones.、So、the first one is、uh, News Lens.、Uh, they have a fantastic interactive graphic. Uh, that has a lot of different events from the election cycle. You can see on the left there the Hong Kong protests begin,、uh, and you can drag that back and forth and see、uh, what the polls look like at different points during、uh, the campaign. Now, another site that I want to point you to is Frozen Garlic. Now, the name is interesting. It comes from the Taiwanese way to say "get elected." Dong Suan, <laughs> right? Um, so this is actually by a political scientist, Nathan Bato, who's at Academia Sinica. He has some really interesting insight into whether. Hangouyu's、uh, ploy to ruin the、uh, opinion polls is working or not.、Um, I-, I think you should read the whole article, and we'll actually、uh, post that article in the information below. But in essence, he says that、uh, Han might have increased、uh, the level of uncertainty a little bit about the polls. But the bad news for Han coming from the polls. Uh, is pretty convincing. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. Thank you very much, Andrew. And we'll have links to those sources below. And that's our Taiwan Explain for the week. Taiwan's three presidential candidates presented their first televised policy platforms on Wednesday. Let's see what they had to say about the future of Taiwan. Long live the ROC! Long live the ROC! Long live the ROC! I hope you say it boldly. Otherwise, please shout out Taiwan Independence. That was KMT presidential candidate Han Guoyu, and the response from his main rival, President Tsai Ing-wen. Earlier this year, China proposed the one country, two systems formula for Taiwan. While the whole country was upset about it, Mayor Han visited China's liaison office in Hong Kong, giving the impression he supports the formula. KMT legislator at large candidates make the public uneasy, and that's why young people feel hopeless about the country's future. PFP Chairman Jin Song promised to put the country on the right track. 
When I take office, I will make things right. Independence and unification are both impossible in the next four years. Song has positioned himself as a third option to the two main parties. He urged the two parties to remain calm so as not to put Taiwan's democracy to shame. I feel very strongly today that I am proud to be Taiwanese and that Taiwan can have such a democratic and open event, allowing people to express different views on TV. Now, the three presidential candidates will have two more opportunities to talk about their policies on TV. The vice presidential candidates will also have that same opportunity. But what's most interesting is this past week, the three presidential candidates agreed to hold a debate. Now, that's going to take place on December 29th. They'll be fielding questions from each other and from a variety of different reporters from different media. Today's topic is the destination where many people like to go watch the sunrise on the first day of the year. Oh. That's in Taidong mm-hmm. at Sanchen Tai. It's a little there's a little island over there that has a breathtaking view when you go to the top. Have you guys been there before? Uh, I've been there many years ago. Weren't you in Taidong last year? I just got back from Taidong and I didn't go there. Okay. No. Little, a, too little too late, Natalie. You can still go on New Year's Day if you want. <laughs> anyway, I want to ask you guys, um, how high is the highest point of that um, island above sea level? Oh, um, I don't know. You want to say first? Taipei 101 is like 500 <laughs> meters, so I'm going to go 250. 250. Yeah. 250? I'm going to go 300. Okay, 250 and 300. Well, before we tell you the answer, let's take a look at what some couples are doing there and how they're enjoying the view. Sanxiantai is one of the most unforgettable places on Taiwan's east coast. It is a hotspot for wedding photos and videos. With the help of a drone, this couple shot a memorable video where the groom gave the bride a touching surprise. The spot is also famous for its unique arched bridge, which crosses over from the coast to a small offshore island. It makes for quite a backdrop. Sanxiantide is also popular among those who like to watch the first sunrise of the new year. And this New Year's Day, the administration of the East Coast National Scenic Area is hoping to use Sanxiantide's association with romance to bring in even more visitors. For the coming sunrise celebration on New Year's Day, the administration is offering a free package to 20 lucky married couples. If you propose or take in wedding photos at Sanxiantai or are celebrating your 20th day, month or year of marriage, or if your wedding anniversary falls on January 1st or the 20th of any month, you are eligible to apply. 20 selected couples will enjoy free accommodations and a New Year's Eve meal and can enjoy the first sunrise of 2020 at Sanxiantai. But you have to be quick. The deadline to apply is December 25th. Isn't that beautiful? Mm, so, and the government's giving 20 special couples the opportunity to have a special sunrise package there. But um, you guys guessed about the highest point, right? You guessed 300? Yes. And you guessed 250 meters? Yes. Let's take a look at the answer. 70, ah, it's actually not what? that high. It's oh. not that hard to climb, but it's oh. still beautiful. Breathtaking scenery. It looks really high, and I think that's what's great because you, if you're getting your photo taken there, then it looks like you've, you've right. climbed this amazing mountain. Yes. Yeah. Right. So you guys should check it out. It's not that hard to climb, actually. Okay. So. <laughs> Perfect for us. So, <laughs> so also, there, it, uh, the place is famous for this iconic bridge that looks like a dragon or the waves. It has arches. 
How many arches does it have? Ooh, I think I know. All right, then you go first. Well, usually I do like nine for these things, right? Like nine turns bridge okay. or nine. Is that your guess? Yeah, nine? I'll say okay, nine. Okay, nine. And how about Leslie? I'm going for lucky seven. Lucky seven. seven. Okay, let's take a look at the answer. Oh. <laughs> right in between. Lucky eight. eight. Lucky eight. Lucky eight. Remember, yes. lucky right. eight for, lucky eight. for Taiwan. Like prosperity, right? Taiwan. Right. Yeah. So, isn't that a cool bridge? That's yeah, very cool. And then the next question. Oh, there is um, a lot of fish and coral in, along the coast. That's something that people may not know about. Now, how many species of coral are there there? Oh, wow. I know nothing about coral. Oh, wow. That's I like coral. Guess. Coral's good. It's I'm, beautiful down there. I mean, it's a great place to go diving. So I'm going to say seven. Seven. That's a lot. Of, that's, is that a lot? Is that's that a lot, lot or is that not a lot? I'm not I don't sure. Know. Thirteen? Thirteen? <laughs> <laughs> Lucky <Okay>. thirteen. <laughs> Let's take a look at the answer. Oh. I'm over 150 species. What? Talk about biodiversity, man. Yeah, Seriously. It's a great place. It's a pristine area, right? There's mm -hmm. not a lot of um, people around there, except for on New Year's Day. Mm. So a lot of people are going there on New Year's Day, on New Year's Eve, and then they get there around 4 in the morning and start partying and everything. Now, what time is the sunrise supposed to come out on January 1st, 2020? Oh, Wow. You're asking something. At Session High. Okay, I don't get up that early, so I don't know. Maybe <laughs> you have a better idea. It's winter right now, right? Yeah. So I wake up to go to the bathroom at night at like 5.30 in the morning. It's still kind of dark out there. Oh. So I would say 6.17 in the morning. 6.17, mm -hmm. okay. Okay, I'm going to say earlier than that. I'm going to say okay. on the 5 side. Uh, 5 side. 5.58. 558. Do you like the 617. All right, let's like take a look at the answer. Oh, 611. Kind of in between, but I think you're a little closer, right? In the middle of the night. Those midnight bathroom makes. Yeah. Never thought it would help out, but look at this. Look at me now. All right. So that's a place to go for New Year's Day if you want to see the sunrise, the first sunrise in Taiwan. Fantastic. Well, thanks for that, Natalie. And that's today's Taiwan by Number. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, dating. Now, guys, <laughs> like most other things I tend to fail miserably at, and I'm saying like crash and burn fail. Oh, Leslie. I like to leave it to people who know exactly what they're doing. Like this guy. His name is Potter, and I got a video for you. He's good, isn't he? He's very funny. Pretty good. I love that. His name is Potter King, and he's a very popular YouTuber here in Taiwan. His videos focus on dating advice, and you gotta admit, he's pretty good. He gets a rise out of President Tsai Ing-wen, <laughs> who I usually see as a very stoic and reserved kind of person. Now, leading up to the election, President Tsai has been making a lot of social media videos with popular internet celebrities here in Taiwan. 
Potter King is one of these guys. Now, Potter King is also very, very popular in China, and as you might imagine, authorities there were not very happy about a famous internet figure appearing in a video with the president of Taiwan.、Mm. Now, usually on hashtag Taiwan, I like to give you the abridged version of any story, but we have a very special opportunity here because Potter King actually publicly released. His conversation with an agency that represents him in China called PoppyTube. Now I've translated the conversation for you, and the text in white is PoppyTube, and the text in green is Potter's company. Now take a look. When one of the representatives from the agency saw the video, they said, "Potter, Taiwan president, can you delete the video? Do you think this is okay? Because the video is not on Weibo. Weibo being the huge Chinese social media website." He says, "Are you endorsing Taiwanese independence? Get back to us once you see this." Now, Potter, being a very snarky person, said, "If Xi Jinping wants to do a video with me, I'd do that too." The agency gets back to him and says, "Potter, the problem is with Taiwan president." They keep going and they say, "You need to delete this immediately. This is very serious." This video, we're going to have to terminate our contract. Now, Potter's partner Mars actually chimes in and he says, "Go ahead, terminate the contract." And they say,、mm, "Please delete it." It goes on to say, "I will ask you one more time: Will you delete it?" Asking for confirmation whether or not they will delete the video in question. To which Mars says, "Not a chance." What right do you have to tell us to delete our video? Our head of state visits us, and you want us to delete it? Does our contract forbid us from taking pictures with Taiwan's president? Are you really that afraid? Is it really that scary over there in China? Wow.、Yeah. Okay. So let's review. The big problem here is with more than anything calling Tsai a Taiwan president. Now. Potter also says that our Weibo account, with over one million followers, has been seized. We operated it ourselves, and now the password has been changed. We cannot log in.、Wow. Now, the more interesting thing here is KMT presidential candidate Han Guori actually came out in support of Potter King. He actually said that Chinese companies should not penalize Taiwanese individuals in this way, and that economic matters and political matters should stay separated. That's interesting. He's more of a pro-China candidate,、mm-hmm. so it's interesting to see that you know him protecting the the rights of of Taiwanese netizens. Well, I、yeah. think it's for his image because I think most of the people in Taiwan would side with Potter King to have、yeah. the freedom of speech, right? Yeah. And I think it's also very smart of the president to visit a guy like that to get all this attention. Also, <laughs> he he's in Gaoshou. You don't、so. really see her in、yeah. that light, right? Like, yeah. You know, and then no, this it's guy so casual and fun, and it's it's really hilarious. It's I mean, a it's, different it's side of the president than we usually see,、right. for sure. And it's、yeah. a good campaign strategy, good publicity.、Yeah. I wanted to find something Christmas related, but this is the news of the hour. Well, thanks, Leslie, and that is hashtag Taiwan for this week. Leave a comment below. We would love to hear from you. Well, we really hope you enjoyed this Christmas edition of Taiwan Insider this week. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, and leave a comment below. We would love to hear from you. For Taiwan Insider, I am Natalie So. I'm Leslie Leo, and I'm Andrew Ryan. Merry Christmas.
Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. International artists have come to Taiwan for an exhibit called The Great Islanders at the Little White House in Danshui, New Taipei. The artists have come from London and they all have experience living or growing up on an island. Today, three artists tell us about their works at this exhibit. Freya Twelde, Irene Pugliasi, and Will Coops. Will Coops is half British and half Maltese and tells us first about his works. Yeah, so I uh, made some new work for this exhibition. Uh, it's a mix of drawing and collage, um, which it tends to be what I do as my main sort of beginning thought process to a lot of work, sort of found images or cutouts from magazines and stuff, and then pairing them with bits of drawing that come out of memory. So it's kind of made up onto the page and then using little brightly coloured pieces of card as the background to sort of put them then into a separate space so the objects and the cutouts kind of float around in their own new little world kind of separate from other stuff. And what are some of the themes in this collage? So it's a mix of sort of segmented bodies at the moment mostly out of magazines for these these 12 that I've made and then a lot of the objects are quite structural or natural it's between twigs and sticks and things like that along with sort of larger squarer more concretey objects. So how does this relate to the theme of being an islander? A lot of it comes then from memory of growing up in sort of summer holidays back to Malta, where my mother's from, and just sort of remembering sitting on the beach as I was like a younger kid um, and seeing these bits of bodies going past that you don't quite catch the full thing of because the really bright sun is in your eyes, these little glimpses of just like an arm there or a leg walking past, um, things like that. And then the sort of little objects that go in it are just memories from around other things as well so it sticks from playing as a child and things like that images from the beach then would you say yeah a lot of it is and how is um being maltese and having that experience going to the island frequently during your childhood you think affected your own outlook on on life oh um i don't know it's uh, malta's always felt like a very safe place for me it's still it's got that home element that it's where you go back to kind of regroup and feel comfortable somewhere. And so having that from quite a young age as somewhere quite secure was always really nice. Like yeah. a haven to relax. Yeah. Did it feel like a safe place? Yeah, always has done. Really, um, even the ocean is so, such a expansive uh, Yeah, because you know, it's a such a tiny place, island though. in kind of the middle of the Mediterranean on its own. But it's always felt very, very secure. And it, there's, there's a tradition to it as well that, is nice to revert to that we don't get as much in the UK. Going back to all the little family bits and the foods we eat and things like that are very different. Um, so there's a lot of that memory aspect that then feels really nice. Maybe because it's smaller as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So you and can kind of everyone more, knows everyone. And, it's more cozy yeah. and instead of a bustling um, London, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> great. Well, you, um, it's great that you brought a piece of that memory mm-hmm. to Taiwan. And we also have with us... Um, from the Greek island of Corfu, Irene Pugliasi. And tell us about your work at this exhibition. Uh, My work context in general is uh, about future dystopias and present dystopias. And I like to use symbols that are really recognizable and they bring you into a difficult position. Uh, Let's call them taboo symbols or symbols that make you feel like you have to be set up 
and opposed to them. In this exhibition, I mainly have guns, the symbol of gun, which whenever you see it is not, it's a bad omen. No, definitely, especially yeah. in these days, in right? These There's days, a lot of mass days. shootings and, and violence, uh, exactly, senseless and I, violence going on. Exactly, and I think it's the main symbol of present dystopia, which is not, it's especially also in America, That's gun right. laws, and right. not only in America, but here, we don't have laws about it and like to protect and... How is it in the UK and also in Greece? Regarding gun violence, is that a big issue? Uh, not much and not visible, I would say. But mm-hmm. you never can be safe. And so many, you think you hear so many things in the news. And it's still something that's on the back of people's exactly, uh, mind it, or society, right? Exactly. But I use it mostly as a personal issue and how what a gun means as, as a personal wound. And it's, this is the title of my of my works, Getting Shot Gracefully Still Hurts. So I use it as a trauma piece, as a symbol of trauma. Oh. And Very visible and kind of a visceral, shocking <laughs> yeah. symbol of trauma. Yeah, exactly. So meaning something that we may all face some kind of emotional trauma or um, not necessarily physical or violent trauma in our yeah, lives, Yeah, it's right? not about the physical drama, it's also the mental drama and about the era we're going through. It's so many things happening. And so so the, for me, the gun is something that it's, everyone has his own gun, whether mm. it's for protection or like his own wound from a gun. So mm. I try to take it more culturally and personally and how these two personally and culturally are combined and how the one affects the other. So, you know, our listeners on radio don't, see the work right now so can you describe the work besides the gun what else is yes in um, your piece my uh i combine like drawing of guns or gun symbols and i made them of ripped jeans and garments i found in the streets along with fur and some really posh fur so i can give that con- contrast something nice and uh, luxurious against something really really terrifying mm-hmm and what do the jeans represent? Is that everyday life or? Everyday life and I like the fact that I found them downstairs. It's like a subject of loss. You, you never, it's a, a subject of identity and loss together. Someone lost them somewhere. You don't know who. They found who it on the street? Lo- pair of Most jeans? Most of them, yeah. Oh, okay. I find them and uh, <laughs> wash them. Oh, that's really interesting. So um, how does this tie into the, the Islander theme? Growing up at Corfu and it is an island that again its identity is really different how it's presented to the world and how it's to live there uh, i'd like to point out the realities of being in a community with a bit of corruption i would i, I would mm-hmm. say yeah, there's corruption mind. everywhere so that's yeah okay. <laughs> yeah and especially in the greek context so living in an island everyone like praises for its beauty and how different it is to be a tourist and how mm. different it is to to be a resident of this and due to some traumatic events happened in the island and personally and affected many people, uh, many people died. So it, it's really different when tourists died. So it's really, really different. Violent ha- crime? Are you Not talking about violent crime? crime? Uh, it's doctor negligence and it was this corruption of the oh. government didn't take care of people. Mm-hmm. So I would like to give that um, the element of gun, it's a personal gun against the four, how it's presented with the reality and how it really is. So it's a gun really well polished and really presented to the world. Hmm. And so what does the fur represent? Uh, I would say the beauty. Mm-hmm. 
So is this like in any way supposed to help people、uh, deal with trauma or see it in a new light? I would like to point out that there is in the world and people can find solidarity through the works and see like more people that speak about. It's not a taboo someone like to hurt or、mm. having something. It's, you shouldn't hold it back. For some reason, so I think for me it's a matter of solidarity mostly. So, you said you like to deal with taboo、uh, images, right? Yes, and what is the reaction you usually get? Ooh,、uh, depends where you are. It depends, really. <laughs> really, <laughs> tell us the difference it's now. It's the, it's the gun symbol, but I've used the more intimate symbols、such、in previous、what? exhibitions, such as、uh, sex towers, if I may, and I like to make them as. One with a work, so people didn't understand at first. So, examining the world, people started getting、uh, really weird reactions. They, they didn't believe what they saw, and when they understood what they saw, it they had like many people were laughing, getting out of the room, kindly shocked. But it, again, it depends on the context. It's really different when I'm presenting a work in London, and it's really different when I'm presenting a work in Greece. What is this a different reaction?、Uh, People more open in London. Yes, different. I would say contextually and as it, when it comes to contemporary art and conceptual art, yeah, a lot of differently.、Uh-huh. And in Greece, they're a little bit more shocked. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit more shocked because they don't. Exp- they are more into academic art and the beauty、uh-huh. of academic art. So when they see a site like this in the gallery, it's like, what? What's this about? You know? What's this about? <laughs> Very interesting. Well, thank you for bringing your work to Taiwan. Thank you so much for being here. And also, we have from Freya, who's also、um, living in England right now, but she grew up in、uh, Eritrea. Good morning, Natalie. Tell us about your work at this exhibit. Sure. So I was born in Eritrea. I grew up in Saudi Arabia,、oh. and、uh, ever since I was thirteen, I have been in England. So、uh, I brought my work to Taipei.、Uh, it's a video work. It's black and white. It's about floods. It's about the the climate change that's taking place. That's very evident at the moment. That is changing the world. So the work is very active. The work is about, I suppose, climate change in many sense, but specifically the problem that we are having with floods. So it's, it deals with a lot of repetition. It deals with memory. It deals with history as well.、Um, It's deliberately black and white. The video was taken actually in Eritrea,、uh, but when you look at it, it could be anywhere in the world because this is something that's happening everywhere. And、uh, more importantly, we are having problems with migration due to this. And the work is titled "Lost for My Territory," and that is basically going forth. There will be no territory left, and we all have to become one. And this is what the work sort of like questions and. Presents. That's interesting. Also, because you have a very、um, uh, diverse background, that you,、right. you have, perhaps you, how does how do you think that affects your works? I think it doesn't affect it. I think it enhances it.、Mm-hmm. Um, you, when you're talking about history, memory, which is very evident in my work, and I suppose repetition as well, I can I'm able to recall different things that's happening around me, not just from my sort of like my where I grew up and so on. Living in England, I, f- I feel quite enriched as well for me to express that quite freely.
That's great. What are people's reactions to your work? My work tends to be quite dark, unfortunately mm-hmm. or fortunately. More heavy. <laughs> I mean, the really serious issues uh, that... Exactly. I don't think my work is necessarily aesthetically beautiful, mm-hmm. but it's there to sort of like make people question uh, where we are, who we are, uh, the sense of identity. Uh, I tend to seek uh, mainly post-identity in my work. Uh, and what I mean by that is moving away from what is uh, seeing... Uh, clearly this is what we are I, I i like to sort of like feel that maybe we can move away from that and you know collectively we can go to a happier place together uh unfortunately uh with the brexit and etc etc there's a lot of uh changes that's taking place and people are becoming a little bit um, radical in their thinking and uh so it's basically to neutralize to to think beyond that um and i suppose in the current work I'm showing in Taipei, that is evident. And how do you think it relates to the theme of being an islander? Being an islander, I suppose, again, it's dealing with the water for me mm. personally. And hence, as beautiful as it is, things can change quite quickly with the climate change. So this is why we need to be very respectful to the, to the environment so we can leave a better place to our children. Mm. I'm a mother of two. That's so wonderful. I suppose you don't have to be a parent for you to be climately aware. I've been speaking with three multidisciplinary visual artists who are exhibiting their works at the Great Islanders Exhibit here in Taipei at the Little White House in New Taipei in Tensui. Their works provide some insight into what it's like to grow up on an island. The artists are Freya Tweldy, who grew up in Saudi Arabia, Will Coops, who was half British and half Maltese, and Irene Pugliasi, who is from the Greek island of Corfu. Their works are on exhibit along with other Taiwanese artists, who of course grew up on the island of Taiwan. Next week, these artists will be sharing their insights and perspectives on life and work as an artist and their thoughts on Asian art. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. See you next week. John Van Trieste and the destination Taipei 1914. The Taipei Story House is the sort of building that pops out from its surroundings. The bright yellow brick and timber structure with its tidy garden is set off in quaint contrast to Taipei's hulking modern art museum next door and the gray tangle of overpasses just across the river. The building itself doesn't seem to mind. It's been here by the riverside for so long that, if anything, it's the surroundings that are really out of place. 
Today, this century-old building plays host to exhibits that, well, tell stories. Every kind of story you can imagine. Turkish handicrafts and European porcelains are just two of the topics covered here in the last year. But now, the Story House is putting on a display that hits much closer to home. It's the story of the reason the Story House is here in the first place. The answer, in a word, is tea. But more on that in a moment. First, I want to invite you to go into the house with me. It's quiet here as we pass beneath the stone balcony and enter up the steps through the front door. There's just us, volunteer guide Zheng Hong, and the warm, spicy smell of old wood. Our guide, Mr. Zheng, has let us in early, before the story house opens to the public. Today, he'll be taking us back to the 1910s, when Taiwan was under Japanese colonial rule, and when a tea merchant called Chen Chaojun reached the wealthy summit of Taipei's tea world. Chen Chaojun made his fortune from a specific kind of tea, Baozhong tea. This kind of tea wasn't exactly new to Taiwan. It had already started gaining a foothold after a bad year in 1873 hit Taiwan's more famous oolong tea hard. But Chen took this Baozhong tea and made it into an international hit. As we stand near the entrance, in front of an outline of the merchant's life, our guide tells us what exactly Baozhong tea is. This is a light tea, most commonly associated with northern Taiwan. It has a faint but fragrant flavor. There are two kinds of Baozhong tea. One is plain Baozhong tea, produced in small, high-quality batches and served as is. The other kind is scented with aromatic flowers like jasmine. Baozhong tea gets its name, which means the wrapped-up kind in Chinese, from the fact that it was originally wrapped up in paper packets. So the tea is literally wrapped up, and then the whole packet is stamped on top with the tea merchant's logo. Exports of Taiwan's more famous oolong tea long remained in the hands of Western merchants. But the market for Baozhong tea was open for the taking. The tea merchant Chen Chaojun was well-placed to take this market and to popularize this kind of tea outside Taiwan. That's what he did. We now walk into a room off the front entrance, where a sign that takes up an entire wall tells the next part of the story. Chen's father had also been a tea merchant, and his business ventures had taken him from the family home in China's coastal southeast to the rich markets of Java, and from then to the tea processing center of Taipei. For Chen Chaojun, who was born into this family in 1886, two of these places, Taiwan and Java, would prove to be fortune makers. But it was skill and effort as much as family background that got Chen his place in the tea world. Up the carpeted staircase to the second floor, surrounded by displays of contemporary teapots, is a chart that shows just how this merchant turned Baozhong tea into a commodity. Chen took over the family tea business in Taiwan during 1900. There had been gradual growth before he showed up on the scene, but his efforts at promotion and organization helped create a golden age for Baozhong tea sales. 
The same year he took over as head tea merchant here, he was already in Paris, promoting the tea at the Exposition Universelle, the latest of the period's trendy world's fairs. Back in Taiwan, he would go on to sponsor improvements in tea cultivation, organize tea competitions, and build up an enthusiastic market for Baozhong tea in Southeast Asia. In 1900, when he first took over, Taiwan was exporting around 1.5 million kilograms of Baozhong tea a year. By 1912, when the family opened a branch office in Java, that had jumped to just short of 3.6 million kilograms. How much Chen himself had to do with this is hard to say, but his contributions to Baozhong tea were notable, and they kept on coming. In 1915, he was chosen to head a Taipei Tea Merchants Association. And he successfully pushed a joint export scheme that put exports of Baozhong tea completely under this association's control. It was during these years that Chen had the story house built. He'd by now achieved a certain social position, and he needed a place to meet and entertain Japanese colonial officials and his business associates. Our guide tells us that at the time, the road that runs out front was an important link between downtown Taipei and the ritzy neighborhood where many officials lived. Today, the roads here are even busier, but in 1914, when the story house was finished, our guide says this was a quiet, empty area. It was a good spot, though, because the river that runs out back connects all the way to the neighborhood that once housed Taipei's big tea firms. A wharf was built so guests could arrive by riverboat. Chen Chaojun was very specific about what he wanted. Just as Taiwan was under Japanese rule at the time, Java and all of Indonesia was then under Dutch rule. The Dutch had brought in some recent Western trends to Indonesia, including the Tudor revival style. Chen set his mind on recreating one Dutch design in particular in Taiwan. With the help of a Japanese architect and the profits from Taiwanese tea, he did. The result has a brick ground floor and a bright yellow upper half framed with red timber. The stone balcony over the entrance is crowned with a stained glass window that seems to glow when the lights are on inside. And the whole thing is covered in a greenish roof, perhaps made of copper. Inside, you can tell without looking that Chun used the very best wood available. As we make our way back down the carpeted staircase, that same spicy wooden smell that's followed us from the entrance is still in the air. That's Taiwanese cypress wood, still prized today and now heavily regulated by law. This was high society. The furnishings are rich and even the small fireplace is flanked with ornamental stone columns. A few black and white photographs taken a few decades later show that for a long time, this was a relaxing place where matters of importance could be talked over at a leisurely pace, maybe even over a cup of tea. After all, Chen never forgot what it was that had built this place. One of his descendants who spent time here as a child remembered that the same flowers used to flavor Baozhong tea always grew here in the garden. Unfortunately, Chen would have less than a decade to enjoy his rise in society and his beautiful mini-mansion. In 1923, he passed away, having organized an all-Taiwan tea competition the year before. 
Chen's life and the story of Taiwan's Baozhong Tea are important parts in the story this exhibit tells. But the Taipei Story House likes to tell many stories, and this is just one thread in the story this time around. Throughout the house, there are large displays of traditional and modern teacups and utensils, the kind used for brewing and enjoying Baozhong tea. And there's also an exploration of the Japanese tea culture that entered Taiwan during the 50 years of colonial rule. Upstairs, a room is set for a Japanese tea ceremony. And as we walk back down towards the front door, we step past a Japanese cast iron teapot hung from the ceiling over a burner. All of these objects, even the new ones, recall the story house's connection with tea, a story that began more than a hundred years ago. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. This is Taiwan Explained, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. With just about three weeks left before elections here in Taiwan, in today's Taiwan Explained, I want to talk about opinion polls. All right, you have 60 seconds to do that. Are you ready, right. Andrew? I think so. Go. Let's start off with the rules. Now, here in Taiwan, there's a 10-day blackout on opinion polls before the elections, and that's long by international standards. Now, on one end of the spectrum, places like the U.S. and the U.K. don't have blackouts. On the other end, places like China don't allow election opinion polls at all. Now, countries in the region with significant blackouts include not just Taiwan, but also South Korea, Indonesia, and Singapore. Now, during the 2016 election, several politicians and media outfits were fined for talking about opinion polls. That was a $500,000 fine, which is about $15,000 U.S. at the time. So what do the polls say with just three weeks left? Let's have a look at what the uh, lineup looks like on Wikipedia. They have a list of all the latest polls. You can see the incumbent Tsai Ing-wen in green has about 50% of the vote and a comfortable lead in all the polls in December. Now, the polls might not be reliable this year. Why is that? Well, that's because the main opposition candidate, Kaohsiung Mayor Han Guoyu from the KMT, was struggling in the polls, and he called on his supporters to lie to pollsters and say that Tsai was who they preferred as the candidate. Very good. Just a few words there, right? Just a few words over. <laughs> okay, I have a couple questions for you, Andrew. Sure. So why do you think Taiwan is one of the countries with a long blackout for the polls. Okay, well the reason for these blackouts is because they want to make sure that the opinion polls don't have an effect on the election. Mm. Um, because I think in, in previous years there have been claims that this has is, is had an effect. Um, and also because they're not really sure that these opinion polls are true or not. And there could be a couple concerns. If you, it looks like your candidate is ahead in the polls, you might not vote. Yeah. And since there's so many surveys going on, um, which sources do you recommend or that you, do you like to go to? Well, I don't want to uh, recommend a specific pollster. What I would like to do is actually uh, guide you towards some aggregators. So there are people who actually look at a lot of different ones. So the first one is uh, News Lens. Uh, they have a fantastic interactive graphic uh, that has a lot of different events from the election cycle. You can see on the left there, the Hong Kong protests begin. And you can drag that back and forth and see uh, what the polls look like at different points during uh, the campaign. Now, another site that I want to point you to is Frozen Garlic. 
Now the name is interesting. It comes from the Taiwanese way to say "get elected," Dong <laughs> Suan, right?、Um, so this is actually by a political scientist, Nathan Bato, who's at Academia Sinica. He has some really. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In Southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kilohertz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me/radiotaiwanintl. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me/radiotaiwanintl for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.